0: Welcome back to Meese Tech Missions Podcast. This is Jake, and this week I'm going to talk to you about our oral teaching methods. Sounds exciting, right? But actually this is a very good topic because you may unfortunately think that that is something for uh, illiterate, uh, uneducated people in another part of the world, but reality is, studies have shown that most Americans, although they may be literate, are actually non-literate in their learning styles. Pretty interesting, right? That might be very applicable to you, pastor, when it comes to your teaching and preaching styles, just heads up. Uh, let me give you some some definitions. Illiterate, of course, means that a person uh, is able to read well. Like they, they can read and, and they can understand uh, what they are reading. Illiterate, if of course, is the opposite of that, meaning that they cannot read with comprehension basic things. Non-literate has to do with people who are capable of reading but n- don't prefer it. Like this is what we call oral learning preference. They, they people like this prefer to learn uh, by listening and st- or or by watching instead of by reading. It doesn't mean they can't read. It means that they choose not to because it's not their preference. The reality is, the majority of Americans are non-literate. Like they, they prefer to learn by uh, audiovisual means, which is why this is very uh, important for even North American pastors to hear, because the people in their pew are not going to to just just read. Now, there are there are people in every church that learn by study like they're going to sit down with their bible and they're going to work through it and uh through a text through a chapter through 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 a book and they're going to pull out different uh teachable uh things in in that book and they're going to do it all on their own by by reading uh but the reality is most people are not going to do that. This is problematic when you approach discipleship from the perspective of you need to just read your Bible and pray. Like that is the, the most simplest basic form of discipleship strategy in most contemporary churches, uh, specifically most evangelical churches. Just just read your Bible and pray, and you're going to grow as a disciple. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts. The the challenge of moving from uh, an information-based, knowledge-based discipleship into an obedience-based discipleship, but how is that done? Well, it is certainly, in most, um, for for most Americans, not going to be focused primarily on a word-based, knowledge-based discipleship plan. Like just to sit down with a workbook and do it—that's just not going to be effective for most Americans. But in our specific context, it's almost impossible to do. Like, the people here, they do read. Like, th- they do read. Like, when, when you start middle school and on up, you learn to read and study in Spanish, which is interesting because it affects the bilingualism in a different way than it affects our bilingualism. Like, our team is bilingual with uh, a preference, and uh, a speaking and uh, reading preference in English. Like that's that's the way that our bilingualism works. We we grew up speaking and and, and learning in English, and so that is uh, the way that we prefer to learn, the way that we prefer to speak, the way that, that our communication it, it naturally goes because that is the way that our bilingualism is. It is uh, the same and same preference for speaking and reading, and we all we are all uh, have advanced degrees. And so that means that we are used to studying in English. Whereas in this culture, they are bilingual for the most part, but their bilingualism is very different. They are a mistech speaking preference and a Spanish reading preference, which is quite different. Ours is English-English, theirs is Mixtec, spanish this is a different kind of bilingualism. And this is primarily because MISTECH is spoken in the home and Spanish is spoken in the, the school. I would think it would look a lot like that in in places in the United States with uh, large populations of Hispanics, uh, that they are a Spanish-English preference, meaning that at home Spanish is spoken uh, but English is spoken in the school. so they've learned to read and study in English and to speak in Spanish. That is a similar idea that they are Spanish English, whereas here they're me Spanish and we are English English. It doesn't matter the fact that we can do Spanish, that we can speak it and read it and study in it, but that's not our preference. And so what that means is we have to we have to adapt the way that we present the gospel here and to disciple the people here. Uh, so what is so? Even though everybody here can can read Spanish because that's the language that they they learned in in school, the reality is there are no libraries, there are no bookstores. People don't just read. So if we come in as North American missionaries and say, this is the way that you grow as a disciple: you read your Bible and you work through literate workbooks. Christian life workbooks. Like that that you know, that then you you've just condemned them to never learn anything. And so what what do you do? Now, you've heard me often talk about uh, the 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 challenges of identifying our worldview, understanding our worldview, and how that worldview affects our interpretation of scripture and our application of different teaching principles. Right? Like we've, we've talked about this extensively uh, over the course of many different podcasts that, that you and I, we have a worldview just like every other person in the world today. And that worldview, just like it is for every other person, is flawed, and yet we are blind to the flaws. Like being an outsider, it's easy to look at the worldview of other people and go, "Well, that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong." But it's much more difficult to to uh, to see the aspects of the our worldview and the way that it affects the way that we appro- even approach scripture and the Christian life. Like that requires a a a a posture of humility to be able to say I have a worldview too, and that affects how I understand and do everything. Not that now, like I've said before, that's not to say that that our methods of discipleship are wrong or bad or incorrect, whatever adjective that you want to use to describe that. that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we come to discipleship from a worldview based upon literacy, and we have emphasized within our evangelical culture this idea that the, the well-informed disciple is the mature disciple. When scripture, when scripture and church history point to the fact that that may not always be true, that some of the most well-informed of us are actually the most spiritually immature. I would venture to say the most mature disciple is the one who's both well-informed and who lives rightly with the world. And so there needs to be a balance between knowledge-based and obedience-based discipleship like in previous podcasts I've talked about the the debate the current debate between orthodoxy and orthopraxy this idea that uh that it is either right belief or right action that is the most important and I've tried to demonstrate over the course of these podcasts that that both of those positions are too reductionistic to be helpful for us like, are we willing to say that to be a good disciple that you can just believe, believe heresy? Like, Jesus was okay with that? Or did he expect, expect his disciples to teach truth? Well, of course he expected them to teach truth. This idea that he didn't really care what they believed when it is really, really heretical in and even of itself and the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Scripture is replete with examples and exhortations to defend the truth, to teach the truth, to not allow false teachers and false teachings to, to infiltrate our, our, our churches and affect our people. But then again, right belief is obviously important too. Like do you think Jesus would be okay with a disciple who was not putting into practice the truth that he was learning in 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 scripture? Like that would make us very pharisaical in the fact that we might know some things but we might be still very very wicked. Like like There's got to be a a balance between right belief and right living. And what I come to to suggest is the most important is probably right-heartedness, not just right belief and right action, but right-heartedness. Like, Jesus is most concerned with who you are in your heart. Like, do you love God and love others? Like... That seems to be, in my mind, the, the emphasis made in, in Scripture on discipleship. So if I'm right-hearted, of course I'm going to emphasize right belief and right action. Like, like the, the, the two overflow, I, I, my, my, my text that I, I would point to is the Great Commandment. Like, Jesus answers the question, what is the most important Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets depend upon these two things. Like everything in the, in the spiritual life depends upon your love of God and love of others. Like you, you, you can't just just believe the right thing and not love God and love others. Like that's even the point of theology. It's like that the, the, we want to learn about God so that we can worship him rightly. Like not just gather more information and more knowledge, but to worship him as he rightly deserves to be worshiped. And we want to then out of that also love our neighbors. Well, that would lead us to appropriately, biblically, faithfully love those of our world. Like right action and right belief go hand in hand, but they're only capable when we are right hearted. And so this idea that discipleship needs to be uh, the acquisition of more knowledge. Like, that's not what we would really say, but if we were to poll the people in our churches, they would definitely put that way high on the list. Like, I, and if we look at a, if we did a survey of the teaching ministry of most Baptist churches, we would probably walk away with Sunday school just being, or life groups just being, or home groups just being, the transmission of facts and knowledge and data and information, which is problematic. But how do we do that in this culture? Like well, we're not just interested in just the transmission of information. We are interested in the 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 changing of their lives, so they become like Jesus. Well, in order to do that, we we probably should adapt our methods right like you know if if it's not really working like every survey over the last several decades have, have illustrated that the teaching ministries of evangelical churches are not producing dis, uh, new testament disciples like that people that look like jesus and his followers like uh, the statistics have shown that that even though we have more knowledge than ever before that most christians look so much like their culture that that they're indistinguishable in all of the different uh, different ways of of their of their culture, which is I would think problematic. So if it's not working in 21st century the United States in a in a place of extensive extensive knowledge, like the wealth of knowledge, the access to resources, is actually quite embarrassing like we we have so much at our fingertips and yet our christians don't look like jesus well that's problematic so if it's not working there why would we reproduce that method of teaching here like think about that If it doesn't work in a culture that emphasizes it, that values it, then why would it work in a culture here? Which you might be thinking, well, if it doesn't work in our culture, maybe we should adapt it. Bingo, that's right. You should. You should be adapting the way that your teaching ministry in your church is going. Because if it is just knowledge-based without any any kind of obedience-based, and if it is primarily literate when most of the people in church are non-literate learners, then you've got some issues— and not just the content, but the delivery of that content. Like, your, your, your teaching, your ch- Christian education ministry of your church probably needs to be revamped to include non literate methods that focus upon heart issues and require obedience. Well, you say, well, we might lose memberships and uh, members. And I'd be like, okay. And, like, we're, we're, we have been tasked with making disciples of Jesus. Right? Isn't that the task? People that look like Jesus. Like, we want to be, uh, may may our churches be like Antioch, where the people, the community go, those people, those disciples, they they look so much like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. Uh, They value the same things that Jesus values. Maybe they learned the life of Jesus well. And so for us in our context, we're not reproducing the same methods. Now we want to reproduce a lot of the same uh, results, but we're not pre- reproducing methods that in in the America, in in the United States don't work well and certainly won't work well here. So what does it look like? Well, our teaching is is narrative based. Now in missiology, you may have heard of chronological Bible story, and this is the idea that you work story by story through uh, beginning Genesis one, ending in Revelation, through the through the Bible, telling the stories. Uh, so there's there's storying, and then there's what I'm calling oral methodologies. Unfortunately uh even missionaries use the two terms synonymously and they're not synonyms why because oral methodologies tend to deal with non-oral methods of teaching for instance you can read a bible text or you can listen to a bible text or you can watch a bible text like act it out like those are different ways of doing it you can Tell a story or you can read a story. One is a narrative. Well, they're both narratives. One is an oral-based and one is a, a, a literate-based. So what am, what am I saying? I'm saying you can do narratives in a non-literate style or a literate style, and you can do uh, uh, propositional texts in, in Scripture in an oral or, an, or, or, or literate style. Like they're not the same thing. And so what do we do? We primarily focus on narratives because this is a people group that tells stories and think in pictures. And uh, by telling the stories, it gives them a, a bigger picture to connect with. I belong to, a, to the, the people of God throughout all the world and throughout history. Like it, it is historical and not ahistorical. It gives them a connection uh, to history and to the rest of the world. And so we, we tell stories, and we use a variety of methods. Like we'll read some in Spanish, and we will play MISTECH recordings. Why? Because of their bilingualism. They are MISTECH Spanish, MISTECH speaking Spanish reading. And so we, we use a blend of those to hit their various senses. We want to hit, hit their, their uh, hearing, and we want to hit their eyes, and so by, bo- by doing both, we meet them in different ways. And then our teaching is very much inductive. We work with them in a, in, through inductive participatory Bible studies where we ask a, a combination of open and closed questions. Closed questions are basically questions about the text that, uh, that have one answer, one right answer. For instance, what was the name of that person? What was the name of that town? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? What did the disciples say or do? Uh, when did they get baptized? Why did, they, you know, uh, how, was, how did they get baptized? What, where, what was the thing that happened when, you get the idea. Close questions have a, have a very specific answer. That is v- helps us in getting them to talk and it helps, them get, helps us in getting them to retell the story. So when I'm teaching, what I will do is I will begin with a question that I don't want them to answer. It's a rhetorical question that will get them to focus on the text. For instance, tonight I'm teaching about the paralytic that was lowered through the roof. And I'm going to begin with the question of why did Jesus come? And then I'm going to say, let's listen to this story about that. And so then I will go in and um, uh, I will tell the story in Spanish. Uh, I will at times play different aspects of different verses that I want them to hear in MISTECH because these are key verses that I want to get in their heart language into their ears. And we will then, I will then begin to, to, to ask them the series of questions, close questions. Where was Jesus? He was in Capernaum. What was the problem? There were so many people in the house that the, the, uh, nobody could get into the house. How many, uh, w- what was the condition of the man who wanted to get to him? Well, he was paralyzed. Well, how, how did he get to Jesus? Well, he had four friends bring him. What happened when uh, they got to the house. They couldn't get in. So what did they do? They went up to the roof. They opened up the roof. And they lowered Jesus down, or lowered the, the paralytic down to Jesus' feet. What did Jesus say to him? Uh, he said, your sins are forgiven. Like, these are all closed questions. But what am I doing? I'm getting them to retell the, the the facts of the story so they can memorize it and put it in their heads. And then I will go into open questions. These are questions that, that may not have specific One specific answer. Like, for instance, the man had come for physical healing, yet Jesus forgave his sins. Why do you think Jesus did that? How do you think that made the man feel? And then I'll go, how did the people respond? Right? Uh, Why do you think they responded in that way? Uh, What do you think Jesus is most concerned with? Why do you think Jesus is most concerned with forgiveness of sin before the healing of physical problems. And so we begin to work with that. And what we have found is that this actually gets them to really engage the text. Like they begin to think deeply about, uh, about, about the text, about theological uh, points that the text is making. We, we talk about, uh, yeah, deep theology this way. But ultimately what it's doing is it's getting them to memorize and internalize the story and the text and the points that the texts are trying to teach. And so this is our, 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 our teaching method. We, we did this all through the evangelism story set. We did that all the way through the book of Acts. We're doing that in our church formation strategy. It is this idea that uh, they sit around and they talk. And they talk about uh, relationships, and they talk about and concepts, and they do that in the in the sense of of a circle where we're all come contributing. Uh, there isn't just one person who stands up and lectures. And so, this is a, what we have found to be a biblically faithful and culturally relevant model for t- making disciples. And really, the Lord is blessing it. And so, yeah, this this is something that I would encourage for you to consider. Uh, well, you say, well, I couldn't do that in my church. Well, I've actually taught, I've actually preached in churches with several hundred people uh, using this method. And it worked. Now, what does it require you to do? It requires you to listen well. It requires you to think on your feet. It requires you to internalize the text and not just memorize it, not just have to go back to, you know, well, what if they get off? Well, what do I do? Well, what we do is we point them back to the text because we are not the Bible answer men and women. They have the Holy Spirit and they have the Word of God and they have the body of uh, of faith. They can do it. We want them to learn that they can they can do it. And so we, we, we just... If they get stuck, we'll be like, "Well, we'll look at this verse. Look at that verse. Let me, you know, what if they say something wrong? Well, what do we say? Well, well that's an interesting idea. What do you, the rest of you think about that?" And what we have found is they will self-correct. Like we don't have to to correct them. Very rarely do we have to correct them, and usually that's that's because we've encountered something that's beyond their 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 level of discipleship at that moment. But using this, we're able to redirect them to the text and have them think deeply about the text. Can you do this? Absolutely, you can do this. This is let's just, let's be honest. It, isn't this the way that Jesus primarily taught? Like, he, he obviously didn't limit himself to narratives. Like, he used all of Scripture. And you you may say, Jake, what about propositional texts? We use propositional texts. We use propositional texts to supplement the narrative. So when we encounter uh, something in the narrative that needs further explanation, then we will go to a propositional text. But now that propositional propositional text is rooted in... Uh, a story that they've heard, and they they see it illustrated, and through that story, and so we're using all of that. We didn't but like I like I just said, that seems to be what Jesus did, right? Like he taught, asking questions. He taught using uh real life illustrations that, that the people found in the moment. He engaged and he asked questions and he caused he 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 caused them to think deeply about about text that they already knew but in, in in different lights and in different methods. And so I have found that it to be successful and I have found it to be very reflective of Jesus teaching style. And so yeah, that's the that's the way that we approach it. And so and we've had lots of, lots of success with it. So I hope that's been very helpful for you. At least you understand how we are teaching and why we are teaching that way. Uh, and, and perhaps perhaps you will be able to find a way to use a similar style in your church. Well, that's all that I have for this week. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to sharing with you more in the future about different aspects of our team's strategy.